0: Well, I've told you the world's upside down before, and I'm going to continue to tell you the world is upside down, because indeed it is. We have a former president of the United States recently indicted. First, he was indicted by a Manhattan grand jury for nonsense, manufactured, things that don't apply, laws stretched beyond the limits of legal elasticity to the point where they're threatening to rupture our very social fabric. And now we have the same thing being done at the federal level by a zealous special counsel appointed by a scoundrel of an attorney general trying to do what has never been done before, turning this country into a banana republic by the weaponization of the Department of Justice by a sitting president and his confederates To destroy his principal opponent in an upcoming election. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe to the show, and you can do so in one of several easy ways. You can simply download the free Podbean app at the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store, whichever device you use, and you can. Subscribe that way. That's our hosting service. Just search out the Jamie Dury Show in that Podbean app. Or you can just use your native podcast aggregator app as I do. When I'm listening to podcasts, I just use my own native app on my uh, iPhone. And you can do the same thing with your Google device. And you can subscribe that way. Either way, when you subscribe, you'll be notified of new uploads, new episodes that have been. Uploaded to the system. You can leave reviews, comments, and we need more of both. Please give us a five star review. We do our best to give you a good show, and uh, all we ask is that you give us an appropriate review and share the show with your friends. So, we have the President of the United States arrested, so to speak, after an indictment by a special prosecutor. And the strangest things are happening. Strange if everything was to operate the way it should. Not strange if you've been a regular listener to this show. People that had been in the president's corner or pretended to be in the president's corner in the past are turning on him and attacking him because they never were in his corner. Mike Pompeo. My respect for Mike Pompeo has just plummeted to an all-time low. I will support Mike Pompeo in nothing he ever does. He was treated very well by President Trump. He was appointed uh, CIA director, and then he was appointed secretary of state. Those are very powerful positions in a cabinet. And then he turned on him saying he should be prosecuted. And then you have people like Mike Mukasey. I listened um, to him on the radio the other day, speaking with Joe Piscopo saying, I don't have a problem with Donald Trump being indicted. What I have a problem with is people like Hillary Clinton and others not being indicted, you know, saying there's no equal um, application of the law. Now, He's right by half there. There is no equal application of the law. But where I disagree with Michael McCasey is that he's trying to equate what Hillary Clinton did and what Donald Trump did as being at the same level, au contraire, no such, no such case can be made. Hillary Clinton was never a president. Thank God. Hillary Clinton wasn't even a vice president. Hillary Clinton was a U.S. senator, and then she was appointed as secretary of state in the Obama administration, I guess to keep peace in the party and to keep her name alive so that she could now position herself to run for president in her her now famously failed presidential bid. Now, what Hillary Clinton did was Hillary Clinton dealt with classified conversations, conversations about foreign policy, foreign governments, heads of state she was communicating with. And instead of sending these communiques through the secure government server, these aren't just simply records that she kept that people may not have found, paper records, documents. This is stuff that was sent out through cyberspace that could be hacked notably by people like the Chinese who are very adept at it. Why do you think the President of the United States no longer stays at the Waldorf Astoria when he comes to New York ever since the Chinese bought it? Because they know the place is probably bugged from floor to ceiling. In fact, I don't even know where the President stays when he comes to New York anymore. When it was Trump, he stayed at his luxury uh, tower. Why wouldn't you? If I owned a place like that, that's where I'd stay. But Hillary Clinton was having all these communications, these very sensitive communications, on a private server kept in the basement of her home in Chappaqua. It wasn't protected, and it was highly vulnerable. And you can rest assured that almost anything that went back and forth through that server is now known by the Chinese. There was something like 30,000 emails. You can only imagine what kind of deals were made. Those emails were subpoenaed by Congress. She destroyed them and wiped the server clean with a program called BleachBit, And no one pursued her. We've discussed this before. That is destruction of records. That is obstruction of justice. Now, why is this interesting? Well, it's interesting and it's an important because everyone other than the president or a former president, is bound by the Federal Records Act, and they're also subject to the Espionage Act. The only people who are not subject to the Federal Records Act or the Espionage Act are presidents and former presidents. Donald Trump is a former president. He's not bound by the Espionage Act that he was indicted under by this hack Jack Smith. Now, you can read the Presidential Records Act, <clears throat> either in its entirety, or you can read articles that synopsize the um, the act. But the one thing you will note when you read the act, although it lays out how records are supposed to be handled and how they're supposed to be transferred to the National Archives and so forth and so on, or certain things go to presidential libraries if these presidents make presidential libraries... There doesn't seem to be any provision for any criminal sanction if a president violates or doesn't exactly, you can't even call it violate, because it looks like it's more of an act that lays out normal procedures. It doesn't proscribe a criminal sanction for the failure to adhere to those procedures. So there is no way to prosecute right now under the Presidential Records Act a former president who doesn't exactly follow to the letter those procedures. Now, as I mentioned in a previous broadcast, I'm not the only one who thinks this. Of all people, a man I've never agreed with on anything has now taken the same position, that this was a terrible mistake to prosecute Trump, a terrible mistake to investigate him And go through all this, and that it should have been sorted out in an orderly manner in the election. If people think that the president or former president rather did wrong, then they won't vote for him. If they think he did right, then they will vote for him. And his opponents can query him on this issue throughout the numerous debates that would take place in the election or campaign process. That man was none other than uber-leftist and liberal Barney Frank, the former congressman from Massachusetts who was the first openly gay congressman in the House of Representatives. He even came under uh, terrible public scrutiny during a scandal where he allegedly had, uh, he actually had, a male prostitute living in his Washington taxpayer-funded residence uh, with whom he had a relationship. And uh, that would normally kill most people in politics, but coming from the district he did, it didn't kill Barney Frank. But even Barney Frank says this was a terrible mistake and should never have been done, that we don't weaponize the justice system against our political opponents. He's. I would like to see him answer the questions, in normal debate. He goes, I think he maybe he was sloppy, maybe he was self-indulgent. But he's not a criminal, and there's no indication, Barney Frank went to great lengths to say this, there's no indication that national security or anything else was compromised by anything Trump did. Nothing. So Barney Frank is aghast at this and can't believe it's being done. And there's a lot of Americans that are with you, Mr. Frank, on this issue, myself included. But this isn't stopping Joe Biden, Merrick Garland, and Jack Smith. This is a low point in American society. But the reason why I let off with this is because it is symptomatic of everything that's going on in American society. Right is left, left is right. We're being overrun by this woke mob. What is this woke mob? Is these leftists. Who think this country is an unjustifiable country, that it was founded illegally, it was founded immorally, and they're going to change it. And when Barack Obama got up, that, up there and said, we're going to fundamentally change America, that was the most vacuous statement you could possibly make because it was open to such broad interpretation. People who thought one way thought, oh, good, he's going to fundamentally change it the way I'm thinking. No, he didn't mean that. He meant he's going to fundamentally change it in a lot of ways. You see now this move to say that the founding of the country was in the 1600s and not 1776 when we declared our independence. We have this Juneteenth as some great holiday. Juneteenth is a crock, and we're going to get to that later in the broadcast. But for the time being, we're going to stick with our discussion about how everything is upside down. What seems to be the formula is whatever our opponents do on the other side, our liberal friends who want to see this country gutted and turned into a third world nation, whatever they do, they accuse everyone else of doing. Remember during the debate with Trump and Biden, where he talks, where Biden uh, was accused or Trump said that Biden was corrupt and he was taking money and Hunter was taking money. Hunter Biden was involved. And Biden gets up there, pumped up on his drugs, saying, it's not my son Hunter. It's this guy. This is the guy that's doing it. This is the guy that's doing it. Barely able to speak the words. Well, no, it wasn't this guy. Because while all of this is going on against Donald Trump, while people are caving in on him, while you have people like Uh, Mike Pompeo turning their back on him, while you have Mike Pence turning turning his back on him and trying to accuse him of mishandling records, all of whom know better. People who all had records in their own possession themselves, Mike Pence and Joe Biden from when he was senator and vice president. And you have other people turning. The only ones who aren't turning on Donald Trump who are saying this is wrong to go after him are those that have no chance of getting the nomination anyway. People whose percentages are so small you'd need a magnifying glass to read them but you got Nikki Haley doing it she's got no chance of of winning uh you only have this or was it the Ramesh Ramaswamy or something he's the only one one of the only ones that says this is absolutely wrong meanwhile while all of these people are piling on to the besieged Donald Trump who still stands proud and tall You're talking about a man who's been investigated by a plethora of people that hate him, and they can't find anything on him. So if anything, far from being the fiend that they want you to make Donald Trump out to be, uh, he's probably one of the cleanest men you're going to find, because clearly, with all these people hating him, you'd think they'd find something. And now what they have apparently found, or seemingly have found, in this case in Manhattan and now this case in Miami is nothing more than things that have been manufactured. They have tortured, twisted, uh, and manipulated the law in order to make it fit what they wanted to say. They're trying to put a square peg into a round hole, but it's not going to fly. Meanwhile, while this is going on, and Donald Trump is being besieged, we have Joe Biden. Joe Biden, the thief of thieves. We have an excellent article here written in The Federalist by Margot Cleveland. It's an investigative article and she's writing based on information that's coming out of this now uh, famous whistleblower memo where they really have the goods on old sleepy Joe. The title of the article is that the Biden's coerced Barisma to pay 10 million in bribes says a credible FBI source. And then there's a quote here that says, Burisma founder, Mykola Zlochevsky, wasn't far from the mark when he said it would take 10 years to unravel the complex payment path that led to Joe Biden. Of course, it's complex. The Clintons did the same thing. They had a complex path. I've explained that in the past, how they had two holding companies. Maybe one day we'll go over it again. But today, I want to stick with this. Let me read some of the article and quote from you. The Bidens allegedly coerced a foreign national to pay them $10 million in bribes, according to individuals familiar with the investigation into the FBI's handling of the FD-1023 Confidential Human Source Report. What, if anything, agents did to, these, to investigate these explosive claims remains unknown. However, sources tell the Federalists the FBI continues to stonewall. This past Monday, Chuck Grassley revealed a foreign national identified by individuals with knowledge of the matter as Burisma founder Mykola Zlochevsky. Mykola Zlochevsky allegedly possessed 17 recordings implicating the Biden family in a pay-to-play scandal. Fifteen of the audio recordings consisted of phone calls between Zlochevsky and Hunter Biden. No surprise there. Why expose the big guy if you really don't have to? Use the in-between. But two of the calls were with then-Vice President Joe Biden himself, and this is according to the FD-1023 report. The Federalist has now learned that the FD-1023 reported that the CHS saying the Bidens coerced Zlochevsky to pay the bribes. And just for your own uh, edification, CHS is an acronym that the feds use that stands for confidential human source. Okay. And this confidential human source who knows Zlochevsky and actually had contact with Zlochevsky, obviously uh, says the Bidens coerced him to pay the bribes and Again, quoting sources familiar with this investigation, this CHS also explained the context of Zlochevsky's statements. And that context supposedly gives further credence to the confidential human sources reporting. Uh, Around June 30th of 2020, the CHS summarized meetings that he had had with Zlochevsky earlier. According to this, in 2015 to 2016, this would be when Joe Biden was still vice president, the confidential human source was providing advice to Zlachevsky, and he told the Barisma owner, that's who Zlachevsky was, remember he's the owner, to stay away from the Bidens. Then after Trump defeated Hillary Clinton in 2016, the CHS asked Zlachevsky if he was upset that Trump won. Now, Zlochevsky is supposedly to have said to the CHS that he was surprised by Trump's victory, fearing that an investigation would reveal his payments to the Biden family, which included a $5 million payment to Hunter Biden and a $5 million payment to Joe Biden. That's a lot of scratch. Five million dollars. Again, according to the source, Zlochevsky bemoaned the situation, claiming the Bidens had coerced him into paying the bribes. The CHS responded that he hoped Zlochevsky had taken precautions to protect himself. Zlochevsky then allegedly laid out the steps in detail that he had taken to avoid detection, and he made a point of stressing that he had never actually paid the big guy directly. The big guy now is undeniably referring to Joe Biden. Almost everyone acknowledges that, that he never paid him directly and that it would take some 10 years to unravel the various money trails. And then it was only at that time that Zlochevsky mentioned the audio recordings he had made of the conversations he had with Hunter and Joe Biden. Now, let me stop there just to pontificate. I'm sure these people are very very skilled at layering financial transactions so it's difficult for people to follow and would take an experienced a highly experienced forensic accountant to actually dissect these things and find out where the money came from and where it ultimately ended up. But if you can have recordings of people having discussions, Those things say it all. You don't need to unravel the money trail. You go after the people who are incriminated by the recordings and you squeeze them. Now, the broader context of this conversation adds to the plausibility of Zlachevsky's claims that he possessed recordings implicating the Bidens. As we already know from Senator Grassley and the House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer, the FBI considered the CHS who relayed Zolchevsky's claims to the FBI, a highly credible source. Also, according to individuals, again, familiar with the investigation, the FBI admitted that the source's intel was unrelated to the information that Rudy Giuliani had provided the Western District of Pennsylvania uh, back then when the office was uh, run... uh, when the Justice Department, rather, was run by uh, Attorney General William Barr. And they had been tasked with reviewing any new information related to Ukraine. Now, I had mentioned this in an earlier broadcast, that you know, that, that uh, Rudy Giuliani had brought to the attention of the federal authorities some of this same um, bribe scandal. But none of that information uh, came by way of this confidential source. This is a separate source and probably a better source than the sources or the information that Giuliani had uh, access to. Sources told the Federalist that the investigators out of the Pittsburgh office, in addition to reviewing Giuliani's information, searched internal FBI databases and came across an earlier FD-1023 related to the confidential human source. That earlier FD-1023 then led to agents questioning the source on June 30th, 2020, uncovering the details concerning Burisma's alleged bribery of the Bidens. Now, at this point, what the FBI did to investigate those allegations is not known. Sources told the Federalist the Bureau refused to either confirm or deny that the Department of Justice under Barr sent the FD-1023 to Delaware, further investigation. Now, why would they send it to Delaware? I don't know. Could it be because Joe Biden comes from Delaware? On the contrary, the FBI allowed Rep. Jamie Raskin, a ranking member of the House Oversight Committee, to falsely represent to Americans that Barr and Pittsburgh U.S. Attorney Scott Brady had closed the investigations. Raskin's deceit tolerated by the FBI forced Barr to publicly correct the record. Now, what we're talking about here is the recent statements by Barr indicating that the investigation was never closed, contrary to what Jamie Raskin said. Now, remember, Jamie Raskin is the ranking Democrat on the committee, and I believe, if memory serves, that prior to the Republicans taking back the House last fall, He was the committee chair. It only went to Comer when the Republicans took over that committee following the election. The FBI is also refusing to provide any information on what, if any, steps it took to investigate the rather detailed claims contained in this FD-1023. Again, sources familiar with investigative procedures maintained there was insufficient time between June 30th 2020 interview of the CHS and the FBI headquarters closing of an assessment related to the FD 1023 in August 2020 to properly probe the matter. Yes, June to August I don't think is a great period of time. They couldn't have done much, one source said. There was also no independent information from Delaware indicating any investigative steps were taken regarding the F.D. 1023. Agents in Delaware, quote, could have sat on it, according to one individual familiar with the investigation. While the FBI's efforts to unwind the pay-to-play scheme seem to have been non-existent, banking records released in May by the House Oversight Committee show congressional investigators are unraveling the complex web behind the Biden family business those records provide concrete evidence of a pattern of public corruption involving foreign nationals with Joe Biden at the helm. There are still more banking records to review, along with the many details recently discovered when the whistleblower came forward with the FD 1023. Apparently, Zlochevsky wasn't far from the mark when he said it would take 10 years to unravel the complex path that led to Joe Biden. And that's the conclusion of the article. Look, I've been saying this all along. Joe Biden has been in government his entire life. He's never had a job. He lives a very, very opulent and lucrative lifestyle, certainly one that could never be supported by the government salaries he's enjoyed over these 50 years. He's taking money and he's taking it in handfuls any way he can get it. And I just want to say something else if you read how many different agents in so many different places are apparently sitting on their hands, I I almost resent it when some of these former FBI agents and feds get on there with this self-righteous, holier-than-thou attitude on these news shows where they're interviewed, and these hosts are just too willing to accept them as great minions of justice and people with great honor and integrity. Look, no doubt there are FBI agents that are very good people, but it's more than just a few bad apples. I think things have gotten so bad at the FBI that it isn't simply a case of corrupt special agents in charge, and everybody else in the office is a good soldier willing to do the right thing. There's a lot of people that are not doing the right thing in the FBI. You can say what you will, It wasn't all special agents in charge that conducted these raids at Mar-a-Lago. It wasn't all special agents in charge that arrested an old man named Roger Stone in the middle of the night with a SWAT team and submachine guns. He wasn't going to do anything. Somebody signed off on those things, and those agents were willful participants in those raids. If they really had standards, they'd say, listen, I'm not participating in this. I'm not doing it. Find somebody else to do it. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. They didn't stand on their principles. They went along with it. They went along with it. And if you go along with it, you're part of it. You're part of it. That's it. In fact, the FBI has been very, very busy because, you know, you can't just investigate the president taking $5 million and his son taking $5 million to make policy decisions favorable to a foreign interest in a foreign government uh, because you got those January 6th people that you have to investigate because they are the, the real problem in the country. We had one date of demonstration. We had federal agents in the crowd. We had Antifa and other leftist organizations breaching the Capitol and then encouraging the demonstrators who had gone there, the protesters, to go inside the Capitol Uh, You didn't have billions and billions of dollars in property damage. And they're sending people away with draconian sentences. One man sentenced for 18 years. I'd like to know what he did to deserve 18 years. No guns in possession of any of these people who were attempting to overthrow the government with the insurrection. None. But half this country was laid waste, burned, pillaged, and plundered by Black Lives Matter and Antifa in the aftermath of the George Floyd riots. Everyone seems to forget, when Donald Trump was sworn in, they tore Washington, D.C. to pieces. Fires, breaking into stores, t- setting, uh, setting cars on fire. Everybody forgets that. What was that, if it wasn't an insurrection? Wasn't that an insurrection? Wasn't that an attempt to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power by refusing to allow or acknowledge ...the new president who has just sworn in. So please spare me this. Spare me this. But we have still more. The Justice Department isn't just stopping... ...at Donald Trump. They're investigating everything... ...in the upside-down world. Now, who has come under their thumb recently? Well, they've just accused... ...the Minneapolis Police Department... ...of violating rights... ...and using dangerous tactics... Apparently, in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd, the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division initiated a two-year investigation of the Minneapolis Police Department. Okay, A sweeping civil rights investigation was conducted over a span of two years by the U.S. Department of Justice Civil Rights Division and the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Minnesota Civil Rights Division. The probe culminated in a report released today that accuses the city of Minneapolis and the Minneapolis Police Department of a pattern of violating civil rights, discrimination, and heavy-handed police tactics. Quote, to be sure, many MPD officers do their work with professionalism, courage, and respect, the report's executive summary says, nevertheless, our investigation found that the systemic problems in MPD made what happened to George Floyd possible. The probe was launched in April of 2021, a day after former officer Derek Chauvin was convicted of murder and manslaughter in the May 25th, 2020 death of George Floyd. Let's examine that for a second. Now, they go on to say that Floyd repeatedly said he couldn't breathe before going limp as Chauvin knelt on his neck for over nine minutes. The incident was recorded by a bystander and sparked months of mass protest. Well, let me tell you a few things. Now, I did discuss this in detail back at the time when this case took place, but I'm going to go over it again for the benefit of those who may not have heard that broadcast. When you say you can't breathe and you say it repeatedly, you are, quote, obviously, breathing. Because if you couldn't breathe, you wouldn't be able to say, I can't breathe. Okay? When people are having difficulty breathing, they may say, I can't breathe, but they're breathing. Now, if he did have difficulty breathing, and you did see a knee on someone's neck uh, pressing down on it, I could see where most people uh, would conclude that that was the reason why the person was having difficulty breathing. Unfortunately, if you read the medical examiner's report from Minneapolis that did the autopsy on George Floyd, you see that he said that the pressure on the neck, though obviously had taken place by virtue of the video which shows it took place, had nothing to do with George Floyd's death and that it was not heavy enough or sufficient enough To cause his death. Now, this is significant. Why is this significant, ladies and gentlemen? Because in a homicide trial, there are two things that you have to prove in order to convict someone of murder. You have to prove they engaged in the conduct. That's true. Absolutely. That wasn't a problem here. Um, The problem was the other prong of the test, which is called causation. It was easy to prove that Derek Chauvin put his knee on George Floyd's neck because you had film of it. I think Chauvin admitted it, that it was part of their training. The problem is, before the prosecution gets to that point, they have to first clear the first hurdle, which is causation. Now, what is that? It means that you have to prove to a degree of medical certainty, beyond a reasonable doubt, that the conduct that you're stating the defendant engaged in was the proximate cause of the person's death. According to the medical examiner in Minneapolis, the knee on the neck, although it was certainly there for nine minutes, had nothing to do with Chauvin's death. So I always said, I don't know how, legally, legally, They can convict Officer Chauvin of murder and sentence him to jail. They didn't do it because of anything having to do with the law. This is mob justice. They convicted him because they knew there'd be riots if he weren't convicted. So because they wanted to prevent riots, they bastardized our system of criminal justice, and they sent the man who may not be totally innocent, but he certainly wasn't guilty of murder, to jail for murder despite the fact That the chief piece of evidence, causation, could not be established. In fact, the autopsy report of George Floyd shows that he had every conceivable pharmacological cocktail on board that you can imagine. And you even see him in the early stages of the video popping a pill in his mouth of fentanyl. He was acting like a lunatic. Nobody beat George Floyd down. They didn't strike him a single blow. They pulled him out of that car, and they put him down on the ground. And in my opinion, they acted, and Chauvin acted, with restraint. And I'll tell you something else. I had never seen that before, and I have a lot of friends who are police officers. And then I did some questioning of some of those police officers. And one of the fellows I spoke to had been a sergeant in narcotics for a number of years. Uh, And he explained to me that that was quite common back in the early 80s for officers to put their knee on someone's back or their neck and hold them down while they were getting ready to cuff them and subdue them. Now, why? Or even after they cuffed them, they had them on the ground. Why? Well, because first of all, believe it or not, putting your knee on someone's neck to hold them down because you're not putting it on their windpipe is actually safer then putting it on their back because their, their diaphragm is what has to rise and fall in order for people to breathe. So if you put your knee and your full weight on someone's back and therefore engage in chest compression, you are preventing the chest from rising and falling and making it very difficult for a person to breathe. You put your knee on someone's neck, the back of it or the side of it, you're not compressing the airway at all. You're holding them down, but you're not compressing the airway. Now, why did they do this back in narcotics in the early 80s here in the New York City area? Well, that's when AIDS first came on the scene. And in the early stages of AIDS, the early days, no one really knew much about the disease. Where did it come from? How was it spread? Could you get it from this? Could you get it from that? No one really knew. And one of the things these junkies would do when you put them down in the ground is they would try and turn their head and spit on the police officers. Now, at that time, since they knew that the transmission of bodily fluids could uh, transfer the AIDS virus, police officers were understandably concerned that someone spitting, uh, spraying a body bodily fluid, saliva, upon them, if it got into their mouth, a mucous membrane or an open cut someplace, could conceivably give them AIDS. And so they were doing everything they could to prevent that from happening. And so this technique of putting the knee on the neck, but not on the small of the back or the, the, between the shoulder blades, rather, uh, was developed so that they could avoid possibly inadvertently contracting the HIV virus. I never knew this. So apparently this was very common here in Manhattan. And I'm not aware of any case in Manhattan where somebody asphyxiated under those conditions, uh, not just Manhattan, but the five boroughs, I'm not aware of any place in the five boroughs of the city of New York where someone was asphyxiated solely from a knee pressure on a neck with a person down on the ground. Uh, And I would think that the amount of police perpetrator interactions in a place like the city of New York during the heroin craze of the 70s and 80s was on orders of magnitude greater than anything that the Minneapolis Police Department engages in in their town. So if it didn't happen here, it's just not happening, which leads me even more reasonably, incredibly to believe that the reason why George Floyd is dead has nothing to do with the actions of Derek Chauvin and has everything to do with what the actions of George Floyd himself in ingesting things that he never should have ingested into his body. But they're going to continue to investigate the Minneapolis Police Department and see how much they can emasculate and neuter them. Now, although the world is upside down, it's not upside down everywhere. And apparently I have a case here that was brought to my attention that took place in uh Fairford, Gloucestershire, which I think has gotta be in the United Kingdom. It doesn't say that specifically that it's here in the United Kingdom, but it was in I'm I'm deducing from the locations that it was in the United Kingdom. What happened was you had a, a Christian school worker by the name of Christy Higgs. She was dismissed in 2019 from the Farmers School in Fairford, uh, Gloucestershire for gross misconduct after sharing social media posts in which she criticized plans to teach transgenderism and compulsory sex education in the school. Now, back in uh, 2022, a tribunal that adjudicates these matters agreed that her Facebook posts on LGBT relationships in primary schools were potentially homophobic or transphobic. However, today, the Employment Appeals Tribunal ruled that she should be allowed a fresh hearing into her claims and that she was sacked over her Christian beliefs. The judgment came down from Dame Jennifer Eady. Dame means like the, like a knighthood. It's what they call women who have been knighted. You have you know, like Sir John, you have Dame Jennifer. Quote, the freedom to manifest belief, religious or otherwise, and to express views relating to that belief are essential rights in any democracy, whether or not the belief in question is popular or mainstream, and even if its expression may offend. That means even if the transgenders don't like it, if I say that my religion says I believe there's only two genders, a man and a woman, even if it offends them, it's too bad. I get a right to do it. Dame Edie criticized the tribunal judges in Bristol for failing to assess whether the investigation and dismissal of Ms. Higgs were prescribed by law and were necessary for the protection of the rights and freedom of others, recognizing the essential nature of Ms. Higgs' rights to freedom of belief and freedom of expression. She's a mother of two, uh, and she shared posts that raised concerns about children. She shared posts back in October 18 to around 100 friends which referred to brainwashing children and suppressing Christianity and removing it from the public arena. But isn't that true? Aren't we seeing that? Isn't, isn't it a fact that there are certain states in this country, and I've told you about this, New Jersey, Massachusetts, several others who have passed laws where if a child goes to his parents or her parents and says they're experiencing gender confusion and they take them to a shrink, and that shrink wants to now guide them through gender reassignment The parents are out. They're out of the picture. They can't stop them. Now, you wouldn't allow a doctor to cut a wart off your child's foot without a permission, but they're going to administer drugs that are going to alter this child for the rest of their life and the parents can't say anything. So we are getting a suppression of Christianity. We are getting an indoctrination. They want your children to believe that this sort of thing is normal and it is not normal. And... Let me be clear right now. I'm not criticizing homosexuals. I'm not criticizing lesbians. It's not for me. But I may not be a big fan of vichyssoise, and some people may not be a big fan of steak. It's a preference. I understand it. If some man has a preference to be with another man, that's his business. That's his right. If some woman has a preference to be with another woman, that's her business. That's her right. Neither one in those cases has any ambiguity about what they are. The man knows he's a man, the woman knows she's a woman. She just has a preference to be with someone of the same sex. Not an issue for me. But when someone is six foot two, 240 pounds, has a penis, testicles, a beard, looks in the mirror, and sees a girl. He can see a girl all he wants. He can see a woman all he wants. He's not one. And just because he thinks he is one doesn't make him one. These subjective truths of my truth. No, it's not your truth. It either is the truth or it isn't the truth. Truth is not subjective. It is objective. And as Dr. Paul McHugh the former head of psychiatry at John Hopkins University described, and John Hopkins, just to reiterate from past broadcasts, was the very first medical institution in this country to perform sex change operations, they no longer do, because they realize they don't work, Um, said that these people are essentially suffering from a body dysmorphic disorder. They are no different, and in fact are indistinguishable, From the young, terribly sickly, thin girl who's starving herself, a girl ridden with anorexia or bulimia, who looks in the mirror, and despite the fact that she's skin and bones, sees a fat girl. She can see a fat girl all she wants. We see a girl on the brink of death that is in need of psychological intervention. These people are in the need of psychological intervention. They are not normal. And that's why I say the world is upside down, any way, shape, or form. But far from trying to help these people, they not only want us to accept it and affirm it, they want us to now expand it and foist it upon our children, almost encouraging them. Do you know how many crises of conscience kids go through as they go through adolescence and puberty and what peer pressure can do? They've got kids killing themselves, committing suicide because someone posts something bad about them on social media. Now, we didn't have social media when I was growing up, but if I had someone posting something about me on social media, I wouldn't be going crazy, destroying myself over the fact and going up to them and pleading with them. And saying, please take it off, take it off my social media. I don't want people to think this of me. I'd go there with a if a guy put something about social media on me, I'd go there and beat the crap out of him. And if I think he was too big for me to beat the crap out of him, I'd hit him with a lead pipe. Hit him in the kneecap and break beat the crap out of him. Tell him, Now, take that shit off, and if it's not off when I come back to school tomorrow, I'm gonna hit you with a bigger pipe. I mean I mean, I'm trying to make light of it, but You get my point. I mean, this is insane. People are killing themselves over social media posts, cyberbullying. Beat the living crap out of them. See how much cyberbullying they do then. But you have this type of thing that has become preeminent. So the kids now are going through a lot of pressure when they grow up. There's, There's pressure not only from the peers in class, but also from this cyber quadrant. So you have children, they're confused about life for a good portion of their life. Some of these children don't know what's what. But they will resolve ultimately what they are. They're born a boy. They're obviously a boy. They're born a girl. They're obviously a girl. And in many cases, one of the reasons why Dr. Paul McHugh said they did not want to uh, do these surgeries anymore in many of these cases, and this is also verified by studies in England, children at a young age who come forward with these um, uh, problems, these conflicts that they're experienced with, they're not sure about their gender, Gender. eventually these things pass and the crisis resolves itself. But we have people here that want to force drugs upon these kids that's going to be uh, something that they're going to have to take for the rest of their lives or will result in an irreversible defect. It's not going to pass then. And if they decide to change their minds, then it's going to be too late because they'll be permanently altered. This is Nazi-like. This is Joseph Mengele stuff. And we're doing it here to our children in the United States of America in the 21st century. And now you have people that are trying they're doing it on the fringes, but mark my words, you're going to see it. Rush Limbaugh commented on this about four or five years ago. I'm telling you it's coming to pass. They're trying to lay the groundwork, telling you that this child pedophilia, it may not be a crime. It may not be a sickness. It may just be another normal expression of affection and love for children. I mean, it's all about love, right? It's all about love and affection. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with you dealing with children that don't have the emotional or the intellectual maturity to understand and cope with the awful power and contradiction of their newfound emotions and you're going to prey upon them for your own depraved gratification? There's a sickness that's seizing American society, ladies and gentlemen, it's seizing the world, but particularly here. And we have our politicians who are promoters of it. And virtually all of those politicians are in the Democratic Party. But we're dealing with primarily a one-party system, as I said, because you've got Republicans that don't have the chutzpah to vote. They folded on that vote to get rid of Adam Schiff and censor him and fine him. Now they're going to have a second vote. What possible reason could you give for not voting against this man— who has peddled lies about Donald Trump and about the Russia collusion investigation, which was exposed completely as a hoax from day one. And they knew it was a hoax from day one by the Durham report. And he continues to say it. He continues to go on places like The View with those cackling hens and promote this thing. And you don't have 100% of the Republicans on board to vote against this man? Every one of those people's names... Should be publicized. Every single one of them, without exception. And so, as a public service, the Jamie Dury Show is going to provide you with those names Armstrong from North Dakota, Chavez de Remmer, Oregon, Siscomani, Arizona, Representative Cole from Oklahoma, Davidson from Ohio. Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania, Granger from Texas, Graves from Louisiana, Keen from New Jersey, Kylie from California, Kim from California, Lawler from New York, Massey from Kentucky, McClintock, California, Molinaro, New York. Obernault, California. Simpson, Indiana. Turner, Ohio. Valadeo, California. Womack, Arizona. All of those foregoing names voted not to censure and fine Adam Schiff for lying to the American people about the Trump Russia hoax. Representative Santos of New York and Issa of California voted present. Cowards. Representative McHenry from North Carolina, Gonzalez from Texas, and Dunn from Florida just didn't vote at all. They're even bigger cowards. So remember those names and refer back to them. These people need to be held to account. When it comes time to vote, they have to go. can't have We can't have traitors in this war because we're not in a civil battle with people on the left like we were in years gone by because they're anything but civil. These people are lunatics. These people are radicals. These people are uh, militant. And we cannot have a civil discussion with them. As Rush Limbaugh pointed out, they can't be negotiated with. They can't be befriended with. They can't be compromised with. They can only be defeated and expunged and eliminated. So remember these names. Let's start with them purge the bad people out of our own party so we can be stronger. Now, before we leave, I wanted to just briefly speak about this Juneteenth. This Juneteenth is another crock uh, that had been foisted on us by the left. Uh, Juneteenth does not mark the end of slavery. What happened was, back in 1862, Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. And then, of course, we had the war. Now, as the war wore on, uh, people just didn't adhere to the Emancipation Proclamation. That's one of the reasons why they went to war. They didn't want to do it. Okay? The war itself went from 1861 to 1865. Now, the Emancipation came at different parts of the South at different times as places began to surrender and after um, General Lee surrendered at the courthouse in Appomattox uh, on April 9th, 1865. But different states abolished the slavery. If you look um, at a map of the United States, you can find one. I I usually don't like to use uh, Wikipedia. Um, But if you look, they have a color chart. And you can see different parts of the, of the Union, different territories. Um, certain places were ex- exclusion of slavery by congressional action, like certain territories. But the states, now they had rights under the Constitution, so this was a different issue. Um, in these areas here, you see abolition of slavery by state action during the Civil War. Then you see In other places, Operation of the Emancipation Proclamation. And then, of course, the ultimate abolition of slavery came on December 18th of 1865, with the 13th Amendment, which absolutely prohibited it. It wasn't simply a proclamation issued by the president, the chief executive. It was actually codified into law by being added as an amendment to our Constitution. So the June 19th holiday has to do with the fact that on June 19th, Major General Gordon Granger of the Union Army arrived on the island of Galveston and he arrived there to take command of some 2,000 federal troops that had recently landed uh, to enforce the emancipation of the slaves and oversee Reconstruction, because at that point, the Texans had not yet freed their slaves. So it was just one date of many where slaves were freed. So the notion that June 19th, Juneteenth, is some special holiday is a bunch of bull manure. It's nothing. You want to make anything in a holiday? If you had to pick one day you want to make to observe, the hell with June 19th. Make it December 18th, 1865. Because that was the day the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was incorporated. Why did they pick June 19th? Of all the dates they... I mean, I know why what the significance of June 19th is, and the significance of it is that it isn't that significant. It's just the date that the Union Army compelled the freeing of the slaves in Texas. So take it for what it's worth, but June 19th is a canard. It's just another reason to take a day off from school. It has no historical significance that anyone should be concerned about. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but that's the fact. So the Civil War it was a bloody war. It was the worst war in the country's history. It pitted brother against brother in many cases. Uh, it had to be fought, but it was with distaste that it was fought. And the reality is that at various times, from the time that uh, President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation until the adoption of the 13th Amendment on the 18th of December, 1865, there were a host of dates. In that span in which slaves were freed, June 19th is simply one of them. So it's not something we should be celebrating. You want to celebrate the freeing of the slaves? I'm all for it, but June 19th should not be the date. There are other dates that are better suited. and I like the one that really ended it all, which is the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, December 18th, 1865. And that concludes the show for today. I know we went a little long but there was a lot of things i wanted to talk about and wax poetic on but before i go i want to wish you all all of you fathers out there a very very happy fathers day i know we give mothers day a lot of attention and i i think it's deserved there's nothing like a mother but you know fathers aren't uh aren't garbage and they're not someone that should be forgotten either Just because we put on a tough exterior sometimes because we have to be uh, tough and strong for our families doesn't mean that uh, we don't love our children uh, very dearly. I love my little boy. And so for those of you who have been blessed to experience the joy of fatherhood, enjoy yourself that day. Enjoy your children. And those of you who are lucky enough To have your father and your grandfather still alive, uh, do something nice for them on Father's Day. Doesn't have to be grand, doesn't have to be grandiose or dramatic, but do something nice. They'll appreciate it more than you know. For the Jamie Durie Show, I'm Jamie Durie.